Today we have Mike Woodfield on the show. Are you looking for creative tips to maximize real estate operations for your multifamily property? Mike Woodfield is a partner with Obsidian Capital, which manages over 1,000 multifamily units. Mike's focus is on the operations of the business. He shares creative tips on where to focus and how to best manage operations. If you want to learn what it takes to be successful in this industry, listen to what Mike Woodfield has to share. Before we jump into the intro, don't take a chance on missing out on a future episode to learn from proven seasoned investors. Go to Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe, and please select the five-star review. Thank you. We are currently at 292 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we are shooting to get to the 300 mark. We are so close. Thank you for stepping up. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Mike Woodfield before we start the show. Mike lives in the Austin, Texas area. He's a partner with Obsidian Capital that manages over 1,000 units and has over 500 units in development. Mike is focused on operations and shares some areas to focus in on when managing multifamily properties. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Mike Woodfield with us today here. Mike, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much, Darren. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know Mike. Um, last year, I decided to rent a big old bad Harley and drive down from Dallas down to Austin and um, meet with these guys. And so I met with with Mike and his business partner, uh, Glenn Gonzalez. And Glenn was um, actually on the podcast, episode 15. He also has a book called uh, Maintenance Man to Millionaire. And um, I asked Mike if he can come on the show because, you know, predominantly I've had syndicators, you know, people that are focused on going out and buying assets um, and Mike really focuses on the operations of the business. And so I wanted to get a different perspective and um, have a little bit of different discussion. So Mike has been graciously enough um, to come on. And um, with that, Mike, the, typically the first question I ask is how many properties and how many units you guys currently own? Awesome. Well, I appreciate you letting me on here, Darren. This is, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I hope that I can bring another perspective to apartment ownership. As far as what we own, we, uh, you know, we've been net sellers over the past five years, three, three or four years as the market's just gone up and up and up. But uh, we've been in acquisitions mode. We have six properties right now, just existing deals that are value add, um, totaling roughly around 1,100 units. Uh, we have another 550 units under development right now. Wow. There's uh, at all stages of the process of development. So we're more than busy. We just closed the value add transaction. So we're still doing value add where we can find deals that have a little gas left in the tank, if you will. And uh, we closed one in Austin about a month and a half ago. So um, we're, we're very active right now. Fantastic. Fantastic. So um, what, what were you, what was your background before you got involved with um, multifamily? That's a great question. So I came out of college. Um, I finished college, you know, knowing that I was an entrepreneur. Um, I've always been. It's not a requirement these days, right? There's there's people that either leave college or don't go to college. And, yeah. and heck, some of them are extremely <laughs> successful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you are. got through. I got through, you know, probably uh, because my mom threatened my life, you know, back uh, then. That's funny. I, I had to do it. But um I got through and my wife and I had just gotten married and we loaded up our Mazda three with everything we owned. And we headed from Logan, Utah to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we lived there for two years. I worked for a uh, investment firm out of Chicago 
they they basically did what we do with value add apartments, but it was value add business. So oh, gotcha. they would find failing businesses that it didn't make any sense that they weren't successful other than there's just poor operations. Sure. And so we would go and apply our operational mindset and skill set and money to these companies and we would flip them. Um, it was like a three to five year hold and, and turn them. So I uh, was on a project down there and I oversaw about 40 employees, um, direct reporting to me. Um, so it was kind of baptism by fire. And uh, we were able to turn that company around and sell it. And at that same time, Glenn was building his portfolio up. He had just started, he had transitioned from property management into syndication. And him and I were having lunch and he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking for someone to mentor to, to bring up and partner with. And I said, well, I don't know anything about apartments, but if you'll take a risk on me and a chance on me, then I'd love to work with you. And so I was his asset manager for about four or five years. And I saw a lot of things in those four or five years, uh, had about $300 million of multifamily go through my hands, you know, just millions of dollars in construction and value add. And then the acquisition and disposition of 27 apartment complexes during that time. So great, great experience. And, and something for the listeners perspective is, is look, some people think that they can't get into syndication, but you know, you developed a relationship with, with Glenn yeah. and you were upfront, like, Hey, if you, you know, I don't have experience, but you know, you give me a shot. I'm, I'm a smart guy and I could figure it yeah. out. And, and, um, so he did and you've learned the business and, um, yeah, that, fortunately, that's fantastic. yeah fortunately it worked out for me and, you know, he ended up wanting to partner with me on some deals and now we're 50, 50 partners and everything we buy, I, I get the upside in and the downside if there's any. Um, and half the, the, the headache and, you know, half the reward. So, you know, we, you know, we've been successful the past few years as partners and done quite well, but yeah, I mean, if someone's looking to get in the industry, it's a phone call, you know, or it's an email away to one of us syndicators saying, Hey, look, I really want, I want to try this out. You know, I, I can give you an example of, of that. You know, we, we just uh, closed a, a deal on Cameron Road in, in Austin, Texas, and two young guys, Nico Porter and Brandon Gordon, uh, out of San Antonio. They're they're hungry bulldogs, man. They're out there cold calling owners all day, trying to find deals off market, and they found one. And they brought it to us and said, well, we can't close this ourselves, and we don't have the balance sheet for it. Would you guys help us? And uh, that's what we did, and we're in the middle of a renovation, and they're learning a ton right now. And, you know, they're young dudes. So that's fantastic. You know, it takes some initiation and it takes some guts, but you can do it, you know? Yeah. I would, I would add a little bit to, I mean, you, you made it sound really easy by, Hey, just send an email and, and the yeah. syndicator will, well, you know, and maybe it was that easy with, with Nico, but I think that, um, you know, you still have to prove yourself. You still have sure. to, you know, build a relationship. You still have to, um, you know, gain the confidence of the other party that, you know, that yeah. you, you're bringing value to the table. So like you said, these guys were hungry, Yeah. you know, these guys, and they were pounding the pavement and they found yeah. a deal and you guys looked at it and you were like, you know what? It's, it is, it's a good deal. And so it works, let's do it, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's, uh, it can be had. It's not, I don't think it's as easy as just send, find one syndicator yeah. and send them an email. Sure. Um, but you, you know, if you commit to it, you can make it happen regardless of how old you are or how yep. much money you have. I agree. You know, and you know, most guys in this space and the syndication space, um, I mean, you get all kinds of personalities. I've met the best and the worst, um, in this industry. Uh, but most of us entrepreneurs want to help other entrepreneurs out is what I've found, you know, and if someone approaches me and they're sincere and they want to work hard, I, I will absolutely give them the time of day to say, Hey, look, you know, let me help you because certainly people have done that for me. You know, it's all about paying it forward in some way. Um, and I'm sure I'll need that help down the road. Something to pay I, it forward. I you know. completely agree. And, and with that, I mean, it's, entrepreneurs, investors, business, successful people typically yeah. want to help other people become yeah. successful. Sure. And, you know, so I think that, but you have to take a chance. You have to tell people what you're trying to achieve. 
You have to right. ask for help. You know, some people just, they're not going to come knocking at your door, right? No. You know, no. you, you have to go out there and, and build those relationships. Um, yeah. So let's talk operations. So sure. um, operations, you get a new, you buy a value add deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Say, I don't know, what, what kind of vintage do you guys typically look for? 60s, or 70s, usually, 80s, 90s? Uh, I usually try and stay away from the 60s and early okay. 70s. All right. So 80s, groups, 90s? Yeah, they, they, they'll kill you. Um, but yeah, 80s, 90s, um, usually 80s product is what we buy. Late 70s um, is the value add we look for. Anything above 120 to 130 units. Okay. And, you, and you're in Austin. What other, other markets do you, do you look at or do you just do deals in Austin? We focus on Central Texas and DFW, Fort Worth, that Metroplex. Um, we've owned in San Antonio and in Houston. Um, right now we're looking a lot in the Nashville area and North of Nashville into Kentucky. Oh, wow. Uh, so you're going out of Texas. Yeah. The corridor between Nashville and Louisville is really good. Um, and there's still some nice deals that you can get some value add on. So, um, we, we, we've owned, we own there right now, a 258 unit deal. So, um, we, we stick to those markets. We look at the Salt Lake City market a lot. Um, I'm from there, so it's always nice to go back home. And I know those markets pretty well. So um, we're always looking for deals there as well. Awesome. So you get a deal under contract, you close. Mm-hmm. From an operations standpoint, what's the first thing you focus on after taking over a property? So something that you should have been doing all along is creating an asset management plan. Um, and uh, you call it a business plan, asset management plan, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, you basically have to marry your underwriting to a plan that's written out uh, in some way, right? Because uh, what the, the disconnect a lot of times is between the property management and the acquisitions team. Um, you know, and as an asset manager or as an operations guy, or, you know, if you've just bought one deal and you're everything, you've got to make sure that you bridge the gap between the uh, buying of the property and what was the business plan, what was the offering memorandum and what is going to be the plan going forward. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that disconnect happen and what the proper man- property manager thinks should happen and what you intended to happen couldn't be further apart. And so create an asset management plan that's detailed with a plan and you need to hand that off the day you buy it to the property manager, the regional manager, you as owners, and uh, if you have a contractor, that guy needs to have that plan as well. Um, because I even go as far as having everybody sign. I have a signature block at the bottom of the plan, and everybody puts their their signature on it. Very good. So, I mean, that brings accountability to each each party. In yeah, you signed it. <laughs> um, so let's let's dig into that a little bit. Um, okay. Because uh, the business plan, project management plan that that could mean a lot of different things. Um, so yeah. one, do you guys have your own property management company or do you use third party? We do both. So um, Glenn was in property management for years and he owned his own management companies and sold them. Um, as we've ramped back up in acquisitions, um, we've, we've created our own um, and are doing the stuff in Austin, um, local. We're starting there. Um, we've always known it to be tough to go out into other markets where you don't really have any economies of scale. So we use third party in areas like DFW where we have just one property now. Um, and down in Corpus where we just have one property and in Kentucky where we just have one property. Right. Well, that, so so that makes sense. So then, um, you hand this property management, talk about the, you mentioned disconnect. What is, talk about an example where there was a disconnect. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So um, we bought a property in DFW right off of Marvin D. Love um, Highway. Uh, It was 356 units. Um, And part of the plan when we started out is, look, guys, we're going to renovate half these units, leave some meat on the bone for the next guy. We're going to paint the exterior. We're going to replace the pool deck. We're going to you know, change the leasing office and renovate the leasing office, right? That was the plan. You know, we were very clear what the plan was, right? Well, there was nothing to refer to um, after six months of owning it, right? And so 
When it got down to the pool deck, well, the contractor and the property manager decide what pool deck to put on. And it was the ugliest pool deck I've ever seen in my so, entire life. It was like so they didn't, even, they didn't come back to the ownership group and to get approval no. before. They just went forward with it. $27,000. Right. Well, of course, I blow my top and uh, I call both of them and say, what in the world are you thinking? This is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And uh, the contractor, fortunately enough, stepped up and said, that was my fault. I should have consulted you. I didn't. So a near $30,000 mistake because there was a disconnect between us and them. You know, I sh and, it's, and it really falls on me as the owner, I should have told them, this is the stamp concrete. This is, the, this is what we want. This is the design. This is the concept right. um, that we want as owners. Now, you can consult that property manager and say, hey, what do you think? What should it look like? But to let them decide or um, to not have a plan for them to refer to of, you know, the, the pool deck is going to be this color and it's stamp concrete. You may end up with a wooden pool deck, you know, that you're yeah. I mean, at the very least, you know, Hey, if you guys are picking it, you know, you got to come back, come to me for approval before, right. before we move forward. Um, yeah. so yeah, that, that would be a big mistake. Um, talk about, <laughs> um, rehab from the standpoint of, you know, there's some listeners that are listening that have not syndicated before. There's some sure. listeners that um, have not even passively invested before. And then there's some that are looking to scale up. Um, sure. Talk about like when you look at your rehab, you know, it's mm -hmm. obvious to a lot of syndicators, but um, maybe not to others. Do you want to do the external rehab first or the, or focus on the internal and then do the external? That's a great question. You know, I guess that depends on how your money can be deployed and how quickly for your CapEx um, projects, you know, my philosophy has always been doing both at the same time. Um, you know, you can have an exterior crew running the exterior items and you can have an interior crew turning units. Um, I have a motto and I, I tell everybody this, but, you know, vacancy is never the answer. You know, you should avoid vacancy loss with everything you have, even during renovations, you know, and uh, if you're focused too much on the exterior, maybe some units are going vacant or interiors are taking a little too long to turn. Right. So you're earning money. You know, the exterior may cost you some walk-ins or some people coming in from off the street because it looks bad. And where it also may cost you is if someone comes in and they're like, okay, you're 1500 bucks, bucks a month for the interior looks nice, but, and it's a dump outside. Right. And so, you know, we really like to go in and clean the exterior up right away. If there's, obviously trash, you clean that up, make sure the lawn's getting cut consistently, get the trees trimmed and the canopies raised up. Um, and then, you know, immediately start uh, the, the big CapEx on the exterior. So people see movement. Right. Um, you got to give people the vision, right? So if, if you're going to paint the whole exterior of the building, maybe start with that first, because that'll make a huge difference. Or if they see new roofs going on, they're like, okay, they're spending money here. They're going to fix it up. Or a new parking lot changes everything, you know, restriping, it makes things look nice. So, um, those I are, say simultaneously. yeah, I think that's smart. Um, you know, I've only been in the business for like three and a half years and I wasn't really sure of that answer when I got going and, and, but then the syndicate, you know, I'm more people I talked to, it made sense. Like what you're saying is, you know, if you, you know, if you, you have the capital to invest painting the property and, and getting things going on the outside, people that drive by will see that there's movement, see that mm -hmm. people are, are investing in it and be curious. And, yeah. you know, you may be more apt to be able to pull a different tenant profile. Yeah. Somebody that, you know, maybe wouldn't have stopped before because it looked run down, but That's now right. they're like, you know what? I like the location. It really looks like they're putting money into this. You know, let me, let me take a look and see what, what they're doing. And then yeah. when they go look at the interior, they're like, Hey, it matches up. They're, they're, they're doing the interiors also. I think this is going to be a nice place to live. Yeah. You know, maybe I could give, you know, I know this podcast is all free advice, so take it for what it's worth, but, sure. um, you know, uh, let's talk about the things that don't cost money, um, that aren't cap capital expenditures that you can do when you immediately buy the property. I mean, you know, if you've ever talked to a property management company worth their salt, the line is clean is free, right? So 
you know, what does clean look like? And everybody has a different idea of what clean looks like. I'll give you mine. Um, no cars that are broke down sitting in the parking lot, you know, no cars with flat tires that have been there for five months, get those towed, um, get all the junkers out of the parking lot, no trash, get trash cans out, make sure the trash is cleaned up. You know, this will cost you money, but you have to make sure the lawn gets cut. You have to make sure that it looks good. And you have a good leasing path. Um, those, those are the big ones that you can come in and they'll change the look of a property. People will notice the difference. And the other one is uh, trimming the trees and the bushes around the buildings. I mean, if you have these big overgrown bushes covering up half the building, um, it just looks bad, you know, and, uh, you know, or pressure washing. If you're close to the coast and you have a lot of um, mold or moss that grows on these buildings, make sure maintenance guys pressure washing the sidewalks and the buildings. All these things, you know, aren't huge CapEx items, but people will notice them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, that's great advice for somebody that maybe, well, regardless of whether they have a big budget or a little budget, I mean, that's the first thing that should happen, right? Is, yeah. is these no dollar items. Um, that's huge. Um, so NOI, multifamily is valued off of net operating income. And, you know, the whole goal of buying value add is you buy it and you want to increase that NOI. So you increase the, the valuation of the property. Um, that can happen from, by increasing the revenue. It could also happen by decreasing expenses. Kind of talk about, yeah. you know, from an operations standpoint, um, some levers that you, you have to, you know, either both, on both sides to increase income and to decrease expenses. That's, that's, I mean, that's where you start, right? That's why we're in this business. Um, so on the income side, you know, I, I would say that it's not as simple and, People think it's simple, especially when the underwriting as, you know, you're just going to renovate and hit your rents and, you know, you're going to increase the value of the property and right off in the sunset. Um, you know, oftentimes. That's what the I've dream, thought, right? That's the dream. That's, that's, yeah. Hey, I've heard, I've heard, uh, no, what's the word that people use? The buzzword. Um, this is a not work-life balance. Um, what's the word that people use where it's just basically a job you can have where you don't have to be hands-on. Um, but that's. Passive or um, oh, a lifestyle business. Lifestyle business is what they use. That's the word. Lifestyle business. I've heard that a lot. Um, this business, this business is tough, and um, it's not as simple as people make it sound. You know, you've got to make sure that your business plan is happening. So if you say that I'm going to get $150 more per unit once it's renovated, you better make sure you get it. And that's not just saying, "Hey, manager." This one is rented for $950. I need you to rent it for $1,100. That's going in after they say they rented it for $1,100 and making sure that they did do that. So I'll start very basic is I track every lease at every property we own um, during the first year and a half to two years of ownership. So I track renewals and I track new leases because that really is the bread and butter. Um, the other income, yes, important. You need to make sure you're in budget. But are you doing what you said you would do? And are you getting the increases that you said you would get? Because if you are doing that, and if it is happening, then it's very simple. It's an equation, right? And it is a lifestyle investment. Yeah, and it is. <laughs> it's NOI divided by the cap rate, and you've got a value you can sell it for. You've increased the value you know, by millions of dollars maybe, right? So I would say the first thing to do is make sure you're tracking those rents and make sure you're hitting your underwritten rents. Make sure that's happening. Um, you know, beyond that. Um, so let, let's dive into that a little bit. So what if it's okay. not? <laughs> um, well, there's a number of things that could be going on wrong. And this is this is the advice I gave two days ago to Nico and Brandon. Um, so hopefully they're listening at home again, right? Is I always go by the four P's. Four, four P's. P's. All right, let's, let's do it. People, product, price promotion. So whenever I go and I'm assessing a property and I'm looking at um, what's happening here, what's going awry, or if it is going well, I still look at these things is, um, are the people good? You know, do I have the right property manager? Do I have the right sales agent? That's what I call, I call them, lease agent or salespeople. Do I have the right maintenance guy whose shop is clean and the property looks good every time I'm there? Do I have the right people? Do I have the right product? Um, when I go walk a vacant unit that they say is rent ready, is it rent ready? 
or do they have bugs in the sitting in the you know tub, which I'm sure you've seen before, um, or do they have a refrigerator that's sitting open, or do they have um, the previous render was a smoker and it smells like smoke in there? Um, is it rent ready? So is my product good? Did right. the maintenance guy that turned the unit make a good product that you're selling, or is it shabby? Is it got paint drips and all that stuff? And then price. You know, uh, have you done a market study lately? You know, maybe your market took a dip and your underwritten rents won't work anymore. And if you keep trying to put that round peg through a square hole, you're going to get eaten alive in your vacancy, you know, because everybody's renting here and you're up here and there's your vacancy, right? Um, you need to come bring your rents down to market, perhaps, or um, if you want to show that you're a little above, maybe a little above, I don't know but you need to come within reason. So are you priced right? Um, then promotion. Uh, how is your property being marketed? Uh, I, uh, there was a property years ago that we had put $4 million in CapEx. It was 650 unit property in DFW. And uh, we'd put nearly $4 million into renovations into this thing. And if you Googled it, what came up was the old pictures of the old property. Oh no. Yeah. That's so <laughs> right. yeah, it stinks. So Google's free, right? You, right. You, you know, and it's like, man, just take the time to go on there, get some professional photos that cost you 150, 200 bucks, get some professional photos done, throw them up there, make sure they coincide with your website, make sure apartments.com has them, you know, make sure it's cohesive. So you're, you are showing the people the product rather than, you know, some pissed off tenant that, you know, put up a picture of a water leak. Right, so. Right. You know, and, and are you promoting it on the right websites? You know, if you're in a workforce housing situation, you know, maybe apartments.com isn't the right place to post, but maybe Craigslist is or Facebook or something like that. So, sure. you know, those are the four P's that I go by, you know. So I, li people, I like that. Let me, let me uh, delve into those a little bit more. So people, okay. how do people. you know if you've got the right people? That's the hardest part. I mean, there's no like algorithm, you know, it's like there's no uh, co-star to go and pull a report from, you know, it's, it's the hardest thing to do in business. I mean, anybody that argues is crazy that finding the right people to put on the bus is like every business owner's goal, you know? And, um, you know, the way I look at the manager is she's the manager of a multi-million dollar business, you know, that 650 unit apartment complex we sold for almost $50 million. Um, so she managed a $50 million business. Um, and if she's not intelligent and if she doesn't have experience and she doesn't show up for work every day, ready to tackle it, then your $50 million business is going to go down the hill. And, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that onsite person, you know, that onsite management is a critical, critical component. Critical. And so how do you know you have the right one? I, I don't have the answer to that. Um, I can tell you, you know, there's ways you can spot a bad one. Um, okay, let's talk about that. Yeah, usually that's just unannounced site visits. You know, if if someone knows you're showing up, they'll they'll get ready for the the visit. You know, they'll get the long cut. They'll make sure that trash is picked up. They'll make sure there's a few units that are made ready. So when they when you ask to go walk units, that they'll direct you to the ones they want you to see. Um, but show up unannounced. It's your property. You can show up whenever you want. That's, so that's show a great up, point. Walk through the front door and say the boss is here. Let's go walk some units. And, uh, you know, you, you looked at what you do is you look at your vacancy uh, list and you go look at the unit that's been on the market the longest and go look at that one. That'll tell all the tales, you know, because if there's furniture sitting in there from four months ago, you just know that they're not doing it. They're not doing their job. Right. So you can find one that's bad really easy. Um, finding a good one is tougher and it just takes probably time for them to show you that they're really good. That's, um, and, that's great. Um, I had an instance where I actually was, it was an announced visit, right? Told uh -huh. the regional I'm coming uh -huh. and told the regional what was important to me. And there was a new on, on-site person there. Um, and what was important to me is when, when a tenant walks in the door that they get, get up out of their chair and walk over uh -huh. and introduce. Yep. I don't know if everybody has that requirement, but I like that. So the person knows I'm coming, knows what time I'm coming. And I walk <laughs> in and the person, the leasing person doesn't do it. 
glued to I'm their like, chair. Yeah. I'm like, if they don't do it when the owner, you know, the head, the lead GP is coming, then they're not, you know, they're it. not doing it for the tenants walking in. That's so that, right. um, that, that person's no longer there. Not, not my, yeah. I, I left that responsibility to the regional. Um, and, but they made that call. Um, but that was one example. I mean, and that was yeah. known. So if it's unannounced, they're even more lax, you know, yeah. uh, potentially. And if you see them pop up right away and maybe they haven't met you, they don't even know who you are, then that's a good sign. You know, um, the numbers, I'm sure that that's something that, you know, look, if the numbers are really good and keep on progressing month to month, they're doing something right. You know, if the numbers, you know, yeah. are poor and are there's struggling going on. Well, that's maybe an indication that we need to spend a little bit more time seeing it. You know, it may not be the people, but that's something that we're going to take a closer look at. You know, it may yeah, be, it may be, or maybe not. Um, you talked about product. Um, you, talk, you talked about bugs in the, in the uh, bathtub. I haven't seen that, but one of my pet peeves is the, the old AC um, vent. Everything will be clean in the place. And then all of a sudden you look up at the AC vent and it's all dusty. Like, dusty. well, you know, clean that up. You yeah. know, it's just yep. in first impressions. Um, first impressions. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you don't have a clean leasing path, you know, it's the path that they always walk down to show the model unit or whatever. Then, you know, people are going to see whatever. It could be uh, a ton of leaves blew in the pool the night before. And your maintenance guy didn't clean them out or whatever it is. And they're just like, oh, these guys don't really care too much about their property. You know, that that is always on the forefront of my mind is making sure that, you know, those people, when they, they get a good first impression, whether it's online or it's when they drive by and they're looking for a place, you know, that week they need to move in. You know, I, I always make sure that I try and leave a good first impression. And that's our focus. What about product? Like, okay, you, when, when you're looking at the deal, you're underwriting mm -hmm. the deal, you're like, okay, I'm going to put X amount per unit into sure. like you, in mm -hmm. your example, we're going to renovate half the units yeah. and you know, here's what we're going to do. Well, yeah. maybe, you know, do you ever have a time where you have to pivot and either put more or less into you know, sure. the, the rehab, internal rehab. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. We just did that in a property, 136 units in Dallas. Um, we came in with a little heavier renovation budget and, you know, the manager approached me and said, Mike, quite frankly, you don't need to do all this stuff to get these rents. We're already under rented, you know, um, why don't we just do a backsplash in the, you know, and, and paint the cabinets um, and see what we can do. And we did that. And sure enough, she hit our rents. So we've saved, you know, three or four grand a unit, wow. um, which is just awesome. You know, that, and that's fantastic. And that's money that, you know, we kept. And fortunately, when COVID hit, we were able to use some of that money just to keep all the bills, you know, paid and everything. So it really worked out just perfectly, you know. Um, that, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Um, I had another guy who he plays more in the B plus kind of a minus space. Um, mm -hmm. and he, and he shared like, Hey, look, there's other syndicators that are out there that are putting granite and, and all this fancy stuff in. And, and what we found is that if we spend a little bit more money on some of the, you know, external amenities, yeah, we can maybe not spend as much on the internal unit. And yeah. And so finding that balance is, yeah. you know, is a critical component as well. Huge. Yeah, absolutely. What amenities have you found kind of are the biggest bang for the buck where the tenants just absolutely love that you spent the money on it? I don't like amenities. You don't um, like amenities. So you're, like you're not a big fan of that. I'm not, you know, but here's the, here's the thing. I'll, I'll say this. Um, when it comes to amenities, if you have, have amenities and they look bad, it can really hurt you. So you know, when we go in, we make sure the pool is up to date and, you know, it's resurfaced and we add a new pool deck and new pool furniture because, you know, why leave that eyesore there, right? Um, do people use pools at apartment complexes? Not really, like hardly ever. But, you know, you may miss one or two people that are driving through and they see a pool that this looks really bad and they're like, oh, that's, that's gross or whatever. So 
Um, that's one amenity. And then, you know, if you have a gym in the leasing office or something like that, you want to make sure that the equipment is working and, and that it's, it's not like more, 50 years old. Yeah. 50 years old and like a huge like liability. So, you know, if there's a gym and a pool, we always make sure to renovate them. Um, or we may kind of change the plan on the gym and change it into something else, you know, like a, like a after school program for kids or something like that. So, um, but those are the amenities. The one that's really big in Austin is a dog park. They're very inexpensive to put in and, and people love them. If you live in an apartment, you're, you're looking for a place to take your, your dog and get it out and, and have it be running around. So a dog park in an apartment is like a huge selling thing. So um, I would say poor amenities that look bad are never good. Um, I think amenities that look good will at least get someone in the door and won't, won't push them away. I don't know how much more rent you'll get for them, but uh, you know, it it depends on what, what class of uh, you know, tenant you're looking for. But um, you know, I think that the dog park and things like that kind of speaks to all different uh, asset classes. Everybody loves them. So. That that makes sense. Um, Yeah. I think that um, it's, it's like what we're talking about before with external rehab, you know, if you're going up in class, you're going up into the B plus a minus area then you're trying to attract a, you know, a different tenant class that has a higher paying job that can afford to pay more Then maybe some of the external sex and sizzle is attractive. Wow. This is nice. Um, and gets you in the door and, and, uh, but maybe for other people, they're just like very cost conscious. They're, they're not, it's not going to be as big a win for them. Um, so talk about, um, rubs. So some okay. people know what that is. Some people don't. Um, so one, what does it stand for? Um, two, um, you know, what's, what's your experience in terms of um, what percentage properties you find already do it? And if they don't do it, do you typically implement it? Yeah. Yeah. So RUBS, Ratio Utility Billing System, um, it basically just allows a, a property manager or owner to come back in where they're paying for utilities and to build them back to the the tenants is what that is. So, um, yes, we do it and have done it. Um, usually there's a third party company. Um, there's some you know, major players that take care of that stuff. Um, as far as the billing goes of the utilities. Um, but you know, there's, there's certain allowable percentages that you can actually build back to the, the residents and apartments. So in Texas, I think it's 90% can be billed back, um, is, um, and I've seen, uh, I've seen, we bought properties where the, they were billing back like 160%, you know, 160. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so no. they, they had jacked it way up and, um, they were paying it, but in our underwriting, we had to say, look, like we've got to come back down to 90, yeah. you know, that lowers the NOI for us that lowers the value of the property, but we've got to keep it clean, you know? And so, um, but yeah, I, yes, if, if there's a property not doing it and we're able to, to do it, we will. Um, and uh, we charge for other things like pest control. Um, and then uh, on some properties, we've tried uh, doing like a trash valet type of service. Um, and those are kind of some of the other income light items that you'll, you'll see. Um, the rubs definitely offsets that painful utility bill. Yeah, so um, for the listener's benefit, you know, a while back, you know, a lot of properties used to pay for all the utilities and it would yeah. just be billed into the rent and, yeah, all bills paid. um, you know, all bills paid. And then, um, and then some owners started to build back for utilities and then it, it's become more and more commonplace. Now there are still certain pockets that are very, um, still all bills paid type of, uh, little communities. And so it's yeah. difficult to make that you know, be the only, you know, guy on, on the block that's doing it. But he, you know, here's the big advantage to doing that is that, um, you know, if you have an all bills paid property, the tenant doesn't have any incentive to, you know, maintain electric bill and, you know, the heating bill and the, you know, all that. Um, so they're, you know, their AC is max, their, you know, heat is max. They have the windows open in the middle of winter um, and yeah. the property's paying for it. When you start right. to build back, 
Well, now they're responsible for it. And then you're billing back a percentage, whether that's 80 or 90%. um, And that ends up, you know, giving you the ability to increase the income on your property. So if you're looking at a property, you know, this is, I don't know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but if if I'm looking at a property in a market, sub-market, that most of the other properties are already doing it, and this guy's not doing it, well, that's a big opportunity, you know, for, for you it to is. potentially take that property, turn that around and, and um, increase the revenue of the property. It, it really is. I mean, that, that's one thing that you always look at if they're not doing that, that that's something you would implement on all new leases going forward. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tricks, you know, a lot of old apartment owners, you know, they, they provided cable um, and they're paying, Every unit they're paying, you know, 50 bucks a month for cable. And, you know, a lot of people don't expect that anymore, especially if you're streaming and downloading. Like, I don't even own a DVD player, you know, like I use my Apple TV or whatever. And a lot of people are in that same area as me. Um, I use YouTube TV now and I stream all my TV. So, you know, uh, it wouldn't be really enticing for me to have my cable paid for. Right. So we had a property where we went in and we ca- canceled the cable contract. And it saved us, you know, $4,500 a month. Well, that's straight to the NOI. I mean, and we didn't lose one resident. You know, there was no pushback, you know. And um, so, you know, that was major value that was added. That's uh, that's huge. That's one line item. One line one. item. Isn't and that crazy? Yeah, $4,500 a month. You know, yeah. that's that's huge. Um, yep. So, um, hey, when you buy a property, how do you look at, do you buy or sell? Um, what do you do with staff? Do you keep the staff that was already on it? Do you bring on new staff when you sell a property? Do you find another place for them or do they go with the property? Is it on a case by case basis? How does that work? No, I, I've gone through this a lot um, in turnover. Uh, if they're performing, obviously very poorly. I look to bring in people I already know. So you know, in Dallas, I have three or four property managers. I call the day and say, Hey, what are you making at your place now? What do you need to make? You know, let's get you over here. And I already know I can trust them and they will come, they'll come over for more money. So, um, if there's like, if I was to buy a property in Dallas today, you know, um, and the, the manager was performing really poorly, I probably wouldn't look to give her a second shot on, uh, my dime. Um, right. I'd look to bring in someone I know. And if there's not anybody I know that's available, I would trust um, either the third party or my own management company to make a good hire and uh, keep them accountable. So I'm more inclined to start with people I know, but at the same time that can all, that can bite you, right? Um, let's say you're down in a market like Corpus or, um, pick your tertiary market. Um, and you only own one apartment complex there. Um, you go in and you fire all the staff. Well, what if there's a labor issue in that, that city and, you There's fired many the only people, people available. They you know, know what the, right. They know what they're doing, right? Or yeah, well, so they're you, not, they're not, maybe they're not performing to the level that you're used to, but right. they may be the best person yeah, in, they that, may, she may, in that market. Yeah, they, yeah. And we've had this happen before. And I'm just speaking from experience here is that, you know, when you get in these tertiary markets, sometimes a $20 an hour job isn't that high paying, right? Um, or, a third, uh, you know, they could go work at a construction site or on a plant and make $30 an hour or 28 bucks an hour running a line or, you know, um, uh, you know, so you've got to know your market and you've got to know what issues you could potentially run into. If you're just to cut everybody loose, well, you may have some work ahead of you, especially if the management company managing for you doesn't have any other properties there either. Sure. So that's why I say, you know, we use third party because I, I like to use whoever's an expert in that area. So if I, I'm, I'm happy to admit, Darren, that I'm not the expert in uh, Oklahoma City. Right. You know, I, I don't. I don't. So if I bought a property there tomorrow, I would look to find and I would, I would ask some friends that I know that own there. Hey, who have you heard from that is a good property management company? And, and uh, I would kind of interview people and then I would find an expert there rather than putting my own management company there and setting them up to fail. Right. And, um, and that, that guy, he has his three or four people that he can call and say, Hey, do you, you know, right. what, do, what do you need to come over here? So yeah, um, I just picked up a 300 unit property. I can pay you 
60,000, 65,000 a year. Let's, let's go, you know? And so that's, it all fits into, you know, do we fire, do we hire new? Um, do we keep the staff? Um, the property's performing well, but they're just under rented. I mean, why would you fire that staff? That's just the direction of the ownership. The ownership's keeping them where, you know what, let's say we're cash flowing. I built these in the eighties, you know, I'm clipping an amazing coupon here. Don't, don't screw it up. You know, this market can't. So it's a tired owner. Now, if you come in, you're like, all right, we're going to raise these rents up, you know, 200 bucks a month. They may be like, oh, that might be hard, but eventually they'll catch the vision and they'll do it, you know, but if they're a good property manager before, they'll be a good one for you probably. So um, that's just, that's tough. It's different every time. Yeah. Each, each deal I got to imagine is a different, um, different analysis. Hey, yeah. talk about technology. So on the operation side, both in your office um, okay. and out at the properties, you know, what sure. kind of technology do you use that, you know, may, maybe uh, bring efficiencies? That's great. So on the syndication side, um, we use Syndication Pro, which basically is, uh, it's a gatekeeper for all investor data. And uh, it's where we send out all of our deals from um, email blast to basically it keeps a Rolodex, an online Rolodex of our investors. So um, we use that and um, that's been a game changer for us. We, we really, it's, it's, it's expensive like software is, but you know, when you get enough volume, it just makes sense to kind of bake that in the cake, you know? And, Absolutely. And, uh, so we've that, used that. That does a lot. It also uh, automates the entire, um, you know, document signing process. Yeah, PPMs and you subscription know? agreements. And, I mean, yeah. that, that that's a huge um, saver for not only you guys managing the process, but also the investors that are investing in the deal. Um, They don't have to print off the documents and sign them and scan them back in. And um, so, so that's nice. Um, Then I've used syndication pro on one deal where I was a co-sponsor. And uh, one thing that was nice about that was it actually has that capability to have a co-sponsor. And then the investors that, you know, I have relationships with came into kind of my own little mini portal. And, yeah. and so that, that was kind of a nice feature too. All right. So yeah. syndication pro for the syndication side, what other technology? Um, so we, uh, we use a company called via software. Um, they're out of Utah. Um, make a plug for them. Um, what, they, what is that they for? Run, um, they've, they've run a text messaging platform. So Whenever we send out an investor update, we send it via email through Syndication Pro, and then we also send it uh, via text through Via. Gotcha. So, you know, they'll get the same update on their phone, and we get a much better click and open uh, rate than we do through email. So, um, we like text messaging a lot. And then, if we're blasting out a deal, we you know send it via text as well. So. Um, it's just, what's the difference between say click and open rates, uh, email versus text? How big a difference is it? On email, I would say we're about a 20% open rate on, on offering memorandums and on text, we're more like a 60, 65%, um, which I think is pretty dramatic. That's dramatic. I mean, three times and it, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard to ignore a text. I think it is. It's very you know, hard for a text. You you hear click and like you like look over There's email. No spam folder, you know, right? There's- email, yeah. First of all, it could go into your spam folder, and then yeah, secondly, yeah. you know, when when you look at your email periodically, you you quick scan them, right? Boom, 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 boom. But text messages, freaking for some reason, they just grab yeah. your attention. I they absolutely do. So. You know, that's been a success. We've, we've been successful with that. Um, as far as operationally, um, you know, I think that we're probably behind the times a little bit in that way, just because I've got so many things dialed in personally, you know, Excel spreadsheets and tracking, you know, methods for what I do. Monthly reporting, I've got all put together and how we like to report to our investors. So um, that stuff's already all built out. Um, and then on site, we prefer to use Resmin as the software. Gotcha. Um, it's a little bit less expensive than kind of your more robust Yardi and OneSite and Intrata, but it 
it's functionality. It functions very much like a, like an iPhone. It's just user friendly. You know, it's maybe not as many functionalities, but as an owner and from an owner view, if I want to go pull a balance sheet or I want to get a rent roll or it's just very simple. Right. So I've used two different systems, Resmin and one other system and and Resmin to me was as an owner was much more user friendly. Um, You know, just being able to figure out where to pull the reports and that sort of thing. Um, Hey, talk about, We've talked a lot about the value add process. Um, talk about new construction, new development, and the sure. operation side related to that. What you know? How does your mind shift into you know a development deal? What's becomes more important to you from an operation standpoint? Yeah, I mean, during the build process, it's the same thing. You've got to keep your contractors paid, and you got to keep them moving. Um, which you have to do in renovations as well, or else you'll be at an all a standstill on renovations, um, on value add deals. So the same thing applies with uh, new construction. Um, you got to make sure you get the draws in and submitted on time to the bank. Don't let them sit in your inbox for, you know, four or five days, you know, before you submit them, then it takes them a week to get to it. And then a week to fund it. It's like, you know, get it in the same day. So Keeping them paid is important, and that's uh, you focus on that, and then quality control, making sure things are getting done. Um, talking to your architect a lot to make sure that they're building it like you wanted them to build it. Um, and uh, so I would say, you know, to that point, you're focused on the construction, and then, you know, at some point, you need to focus on the lease up. Um, so you get a sign out in front and um an email put together and you need to make sure you have a website reserved and you know you're at the starting phase right so um you do all that and you start taking leases and trying to sell some units so um, uh, a couple of questions on that one one is well in the development process what about mm-hmm. commodities i mean you know lumber prices shot up they've come back down like 40 percent like how do you manage the change in commodity prices through the, you know, the build period. You hope and pray is what you do. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, during this last build, to be completely honest with you, you know, we locked in a contract in uh, August. We closed our loan and we had our budget numbers put together. Contractor said, yep, we can do it for that. Let's move forward. And by the time we got to foundations and he's looking at buying wood and he's resizing it, you know, it's gone up $700,000. That's crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it really, it was crazy and it just happened and we just had to resize the loan and we had to, uh, personally, uh, me and my partners had to put more money in so we didn't have to go back to the LPs and ask for more cash. Um, because in order to get the deal done, it's moved forward, right. you know, and, and it's, uh, it's pony up. So, so you, so you were uh, able to, to get the loan resized though. So you and your partner didn't have to, to, you know, we didn't have the to come entire to amount. Yeah. So we went back to the bank and said, Hey, here's the situation. And of course yeah. they're not happy, you know, but the good thing is banks want you to get the deal done. So they're, they'll work with you and try their best to help you. Um, and, uh, the story we gave them lined up and it made sense, you know, um, it, it was, as you know, material costs had skyrocketed. Yeah. Lumber had gone up four or five times. Um, you know, aluminum and copper had gone up through the roof, um, everything had gone, you know? And so, so that makes, that makes sense. Let me talk about the lease up phase now. So I'm just going to use round numbers. So what, say, what, what say you're going to rent it for your business plan is you're going to rent, you know, this one particular unit for $1,200. Okay. Do you start up in the, in the lease up phase, like under that number in the beginning to get some people in and get some momentum and then, sure start raising it each, each month as you start to get some traction. Yeah. You could do some sort of concession up front, which is very typical in lease up, you know, whether it's the first two months for free, but it's a 14 month agreement. So it kind of burns off, um, you know, or I don't like to lower the rent over the course of the time. I would prefer that we give them upfront concession and then charge them full freight because that just looks better. Um, it looks better roll. six months from now or a year from now when you're looking at the rent roll, they're, they're at the full rent. And, That's right. and when you get to the point where you're going to stop concessions, you could say, 
look, we're 70% full and everybody's at the same rent. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, in today's market and where, where we're, where we're doing these, these developments, I don't think we're going to give concessions on lease up because I don't think we have to, um, you know, and so that's just us benefiting from this great market right now. Uh, but you know, we don't, the, the property that's being built next to us is not giving concessions and they've, they've leased everything up. They, they're doing three phases, but they lease 30 units up in like a month, something like that. But that's so, another example of pivoting, right? I mean, you pivot both ways, right? So one right. way was, okay, all of a sudden commodity costs go up. You got to pivot. You got to go back to the bank, see if things, you know, upsize the loan. You got to throw in a little bit extra capital. Then on another deal, you know, maybe in the business plan, you did have concessions built in for in the, in the lease up. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, this is a hot market. We don't need to do that. So then you right. save that money at that point in time. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, I would say that, but we budget and we, we underwrite for the worst case of those two things. So we've underwritten concessions into our budget and, uh, you know, our pro forma says that we'll, we'll give concessions. You know, I'm not apt to start off on that. Like I right. would prefer that we try and lease some of these units and see what our velocity is. And, you know, if it's such that it meets what we said we would do, why not? Let's just go that path. And if we have to concess, let's, you know, but I don't like start, I don't like to start out giving the kitchen sink away. You know, sure. I, it's, you know, let's start the other way and see what we have to do. So. All right. Let's talk about fear. What, fear. what, what part of the process are you? Are you scared, man? Everybody gets scared at some point in time. Um, on the new development stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, Glenn and I are learning quickly and, and have, you know, Glenn's probably known for a lot longer than me, but I'm learning quickly is that in new development, um, you better have some capital to go do these deals with. And, you know, you, when you're putting earnest money down, that's non-refundable on, you know, 10 acres and you don't have an approved site plan yet. Um, that's fear because you could lose all that money and then have 10 acres that you can't build multifamily on. And so, you know, there's some risk there initially that is very tough to swallow. And, um, you know, once you go through the pre-development risk and you prove out, you know, this will work, the city approves it and you get the rubber stamps, that, that allows you to breathe a little, um, <laughs> you know, but there's this, it takes time. It takes a lot of focus. Um, no one's going to do that work for you. You have to do it yourself. So um, I would say the fear comes in is like, are, are, are we making the right assumptions here? Is this a good deal? You know, and um, it start, it's really at the beginning. And then once you're building it, it's this excitement. It's like, all right, let's get this thing done. And let's let's see the vision out and get people in here paying us money to live here. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that gets lost with uh, limited partners too, is that, you yeah. know, both on the... Um, on the value add side, syndicated deals and also new development brings on a whole different um, aspect. But you know, on, on syndicated deals, that you know, look as the as the syndicators, you're fronting, you know, the yeah. you know, day one non-refundable deposits plus all the fees associated with the attorneys and the bank loan app fee and the um, inspections and appraisals yeah, so and all that. Yep. Yeah. And if the deal doesn't close, that's all on. You eat that. You eat that. Yeah. You know, um, yep. if you, if the deal closes, then you're refunded those fees. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, there's risk. And then on the new development side, you, you brought up even more. I mean, and there you could be putting money down on land and it hasn't even been zoned for multifamily yet. That's um, right. Now yeah. I have talked to some syndicators that have said that, you know, land is a little different. People have told me that it's pretty common to um, to get a the seller to agree to give you like a long period of time to to get sure. that yeah. to work. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so so you don't have as much money outlaid, and you kind of lock up the deal. You um you lose a little bit, but not as much as you you kind of would have. Um, yeah. Kinda, That's right. Yeah. No. So generally there's a six month time period is kind of what you're given. And, and that's if like they don't have approved site plans and architectural drawings that are approved by the city done. If it's shovel ready and permit ready, then, you know, you're, you're 90 day closing, you know, you, you, but if, 
if it's still raw land and maybe it's zoned MF2 or multifamily two, um, you know, you've got a ton of work to do before you can get that thing to entitlement. And trust me, if it's not to entitlement, you're not going to get a private equity group to bite off and, and to do it. You just won't. You better know, you better win the lottery or meet someone that's <laughs> and willing to ride the risk with you because, um, you know, those private equity groups look for avoiding risk in the pre-development. So. All right. Um, uh, one more question on the development side. Um, I've seen more and more syndicators starting like over the last year, year and a half trading up going from C to B or B to A. And yeah. then lately I've had more syndicators talking about, Hey, you know, things have gotten so expensive per unit on the existing properties that, you know, maybe it just makes sense to start doing new development. Um, yeah. Do you, have you guys kind of seen the same thing? And is that what sure. prompted you guys to start doing some more new development? Well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's why we started doing the new development. You know, the, you couldn't, you know, in Austin, you couldn't buy a C plus product or a B minus product for less than 180 a door, or 190 a door. I mean, that would be a still right now. You know, you're up to 205, 210 a door. You're buying on super compressed cap rates um, you know, down in the threes. Um, and there's just not a ton of meat on the bone. Um, how are you supposed to cash flow when you buy at that rate, unless you're able to jack the rents up five, 600 bucks a month? Right. Um, and there's a lot of risk there. Can you even do that? So, um, you know, yeah, naturally we were pushed that way, I think. And we have a lot of connections around where we're at and some people that wanted to partner with us on some land development deals. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're able to build and be all in for less per door than some of this eighties product. That's, and, uh, that's crazy. So you're going to build new and, and your cost per unit will be less than if you were buying an existing property. Correct. Oh, that's huge. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, but you have to go through this headache of getting something done. And I promise you, if you think value adds a headache, you have no clue, you know, until you get the <laughs> development deal. <laughs> what headache means? I mean, seriously, I, I, you know why these development guys are all rich? It's because they pushed through and they've done it. I mean, it's 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 so hard to do, and it takes so much effort and focus and heavy lifting that you deserve every penny you make. You know, right. um, it, it it really is. It's it's a lot of work, and you know, resizing that loan. Fortunately, we we're able to go back and get an appraisal that said, oh. Rents have gone up in the market significantly. You know, yes, you know, this is this is palatable. But had it not been the case, we would have been dead in the water, right? Absolutely. Or uh, absolutely. Up you'd, you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to shell up a lot of money um, yeah. with the hope that you're going to get paid on the back end. Um, That's right. <laughs> so, well, what what's the next big stretch goal for you, my man? Oh, geez, I want to lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> How many pounds? <laughs> I'm How trying to pounds? lose 40 pounds. 40, 40 pounds? pounds? By when? My wife, my wife, well, my wife signed me up for a half Ironman. Okay. And that's crazy to me. And I'm like, this is insane. Um, but that's that's the big stretch call. So as 40 pounds as, by when? You got to put a date on it or else you, October 30th. By October 30th? Oof. Yeah. So I got I got some runway, but you know, um that's gonna be that's gonna be a challenge for me. I'm working hard on it though. Um, awesome. But, uh, you know, as far as business goes, you know, Glenn and I want to get these development deals in Austin that we have three that are active right now. We own the land on, we want to get those across the finish line, meaning all of them are under construction. One of them will be coming into, into uh, pre-leasing phase in February. Um, and, uh, we want to buy another two value add deals by the end of the year. So, um, those are our goals. We're going to awesome. move fast and furious to, to get it done. Um, what do you like to do outside of work? I love my kids and my wife. We spent a lot of time together. I know that you spent time with, I think you came down to Glenn's property maybe. Or, I, I did. Uh, I brought my college age son and we went went shooting with Glenn and he had, cool. he, yeah, we went on his ranch and it was, I mean, he had every type of gun you could think of. And <laughs> and I, I hadn't shot guns before. So, and my, I was a hero with my son cause he, he really had a great time. Yeah. yeah Glenn's, Glenn's, like is, Glenn's super nice, man. He's like a sophisticated redneck, you know, <laughs> He's awesome. Su super, but, super, super, super nice guy. Oh 
he's the best. Yeah, I, I, I love spending time with my kids and um, I really like being outdoors. You know, I, I love, love being out on the boat or something like that. So awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming out and, um, you know, sharing the operation side. We really don't talk about this side as much. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think you brought a completely different perspective and I thank you for that. Um, I wish you and Glenn much success going forward. Um, next time I'm in Austin, I will definitely look you guys up and uh, do the same if you're in Dallas. Um, sure. Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 